Hi there. Welcome to Good, Great, Wonderful, a podcast that tells the stories of people who are contributing good, great, and wonderful things to the world. See this as your weekly dopamine fix. I'm your host, Grace Rouvray, and I personally want you to have a better day. So here's a story. Did you know that cows can have best friends? I promise you this episode is not here to convert you to vegetarianism. But this delightful real-life fact was discovered by Dr. Krista McLennan. She spent years studying the social bonds in dairy cattle. So get ready to learn a thing or three about these majestic, friendly creatures. I am embarrassed to admit that I came across your research and you were a a published doctor, but I did come across your research through a meme. And it was one of those, you know, delightful posts that says 10 heartwarming facts to um, brighten your day. And I did read the sentence, did you know that cows can have best friends? And it just made my heart feel so warm. (laughs) So I did go and track you down on the internet. And so I want to go back to the beginning that when you were a PhD student and you chose to research the isolation partners, social bonds of dairy cattle, as well as a paper called Farmyard Friends. So I want to know what drew you to cows in the first place? So I I grew up opposite um, a dairy farm. So throughout my childhood, I always saw cows out in the field and saw their calves and remember, you know, as a a young child going there on a school trip and doing the traditional thing of of having a calf, you know, suckle on your fingers type thing. And I I don't come really from an animal or farming background, but from that point, really, I've always been interested in animals. I never necessarily sort of thought I would go into agricultural side of things. I actually started off with an equine degree doing and thinking horses were going to be it. But I started to realise I wanted to learn more and was really interested. In, and it just happened that a PhD in the social behaviour of cattle um, was, was put up on offer and I applied and yeah managed to get that opportunity to go and learn about the social behaviour of cows. Um, and so there's sort of that initial reading that you do as a PhD student to really start to get to understand the subject, recognise that there wasn't really much out there about the positive social behaviours of, of cattle. So there's lots about hierarchy and sort of the aggression and threats and things like that, but not necessarily about how much sort of our industrialised sort of production of might affect the positive behaviours of cows. And it's important that we understand both the positive as well as the negative situations so we can provide them with the right environment to be able to perform both. Um, so a, a previous sort of person that was at the, the plain place that I had done my PhD, where this sort of project came out from, had noticed that there were certain cows that spend a lot of time together. And when you talk to farmers, Again, they will say, oh, yeah, you need to go and watch so-and-so. You know, they'll give you two numbers of cows or they're always together. So they were already noticing that there were particular individuals that would spend time with one another. Um, and essentially, we wanted to just see whether that was something that was just random, were they seeing something random, or was this actually something going on for these animals? And was this a relationship that they valued? So the first part of the PhD was simply to find out whether cows do have a particular sort of individual they want to spend their time with. And I found, yes, they do. So that that was nice. And I guess that's where that sort of Farmyard Friends article first came from, was that we did identify that there were individuals they spent the majority of their time with, and whether that be eating, grooming, or just lying next to them. 
they would have that little group, if not one particular individual. So the next stage was about, well, how important are those relationships to them? So hence, we did the whole sort of a short-term separation as well as a long-term separation. The short-term separation was very similar to what they would go through normally. Of If they're trying to um, sort of get pregnancy diagnosis, they will pull a cow out when she's been after she's been milked and hold them in a little holding area. And all we did was we provided that individual with support, essentially, from either the animal we had identified was their preferred partner or their friend, something that they were bonded to. And then we'd also provide them at another time, just another random member of the herd. So not an animal that they had been identified to be seen with, but somebody or an animal that they should know because they were in that same group. What we saw was that their behavior, their heart rates, their cortisol levels, so things that might indicate stress, was lower when they had their bonded or friend with them compared to when they were just supported by another random member of the herd, which sort of indicates that that individual was important to them and that they provided them with some form of social support um, when they Mm. were in a situation that they weren't sure about. Which again is really good and to know that actually these animals need that social support and that they are actually a valued member of the t- the group. Obviously, you're when you're researching them, you are looking at this through the lens of science and research. But when you did prove in that first paper, oh, they do have significant friendships. Was there a moment where you also felt that warmth of? seeing this animal from a completely different perspective? Yes and no, I guess. I knew that as a social animal, that they would have had these social relationships. And we do know that, obviously, if they're working as a matriarchal group, that they would have somehow been bonded to those individuals because they would stay as a group. It was more interesting to find out that actually those things still could exist in an industrialised sort of production room. So you know, actually as farm animals where we're using them to obviously collect milk and they were still able to have that that friendship and that support from another individual that just happened to not necessarily be related to them, but they had obviously spent enough time with that that, that was important to them. And what sort of things did you see when they were separated from their friends, whether that was just the the herd or that one particular individual, what did you see when they were separated? A few little things like that they would pace around the actual enclosure where they were being held. Obviously, they could see the other cows going past and going back to their their home pen. They could hear the other cows. Um, So they would sort of flick their tails, sort of what we might class as sort of agitation type behaviours. So flicking or throwing around their head. Um, a slight increase in their heart rates um, as well, which obviously again would suggest that there was a little bit more stress there when they were away from the group. Um, it was it was still minimal. Um, and again, as I said, it's things that would normally happen. It just so was that that little extra support with that friend was enough to clearly reduce the stress level just that little bit um, to help them process with it. Yeah. Which is very relatable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So if they can have friends, can they be lonely and can they experience, I don't want to say grief, I know that some animals do grieve, but is there any sense that you could tell in your research if they experienced loss? So one of the interesting things we did look at was also age. So I was interested in the idea of a production unit that moves cows around groups as they're required to be fed different levels. So a cow's lactation 
um, year, as it were, she'll go through a high lactation period where she's producing a lot of milk. And then that will slowly start to decline as her body is getting ready for the next calf to come along. So there are times when the cow is not producing a lot of milk. Um, and actually, we want her to produce less milk and focus the energy into the calf. So we feed them slightly differently. And that means they have to move groups. And I studied animals right through from sort of calf up through to sort of quite old. So some of them were in their sort of third, maybe fourth lactation. And those that were several lactations down the line actually lost that friendship. They'd never really had an individual they did want to spend time with, or they didn't certainly didn't seem to form that bond. Those bonds were clearer and I would say stronger in younger animals. And I think that's because they've moved so many times and they've had other animals move so many times that they've not really had the opportunity to form that bond anymore or certainly maybe given up forming a bond because they might think, oh, they're going to lose that friend later. So what's the point? Who knows whether that's what they, their minds might go through. But um, but they certainly seem to reduce the, the, the chance of me finding a bond in, was, was difficult in older animals compared to the younger animals. In terms of them being lonely, I mean, they're in a group and they are social animals. They have to be in a group. They have to have other animals around them, which is also why it was important for us that even though we were separating them out, they had somebody else with them. They could still see the others and hear the others um, so that they knew that they weren't completely isolated. But yeah, the fact that as they get older, they, they lose those bonds or those bonds didn't exist would suggest something else is going on by the time they get round to having been moved around several times. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> I just, oh, well, yeah, it's just life, isn't it, as well? Yeah. Earlier when you spoke about the, you tested their cortisol levels, what are you actually, it, can you break down that sort of, that method and what that actually means and what the numbers mean, just to someone who doesn't know anything about that, those kind of tests? Cortisol is a hormone that runs around the body in, heightened arousal time. So it is often used as a stress indicator. And obviously when we are in pressure, we are highly aroused and it's a negative valence. You can get high cortisol levels also in a positive and high arousal positive states. And it, so it was really important, again, we understood sort of the behavioral and the context in which we were measuring cortisol levels in. But essentially, when you're under stress, um, your adrenal glands will produce adrenaline um, and also will produce this sort of corticosteroid um, hormone that essentially is an indicator that some stress is there. If an animal is under what we call chronic stress, they will have a very small change, but it will be a really heightened level of cortisol consistently. When they're in a very short term stress, there'll be a big spike in cortisol and then it will sort of come down. So it was important for us, again, the sort of situation that we had was a short-term stress. We obviously didn't want to stress these animals out because it can affect their milk production and obviously against the sort of welfare side of things. So it was a very short-term separation. Uh, things are about 20, 30 minutes at most that they were out of the rest of the group for. So it wasn't long to be able to see. So we were looking for a, a quick spike, essentially, in, in the animals and seeing whether there was a difference in those uh, those spikes across the different contexts so between supported with a friend or unsupported without a friend mm. and so yeah we were seeing a slight difference but a significant difference to show that actually these animals were getting that little extra spike of stress if there wasn't a friend there 
this information is so lovely to hear as someone to just being curious about the world, but how does your research then impact their like milk production or how are farmers using this research to help their work? This research, along with some of the other research about sort of negative um, effects of sort of moving animals around, it's important that when a farm does need to move that those, those groups, that they move them with individuals. Um, so they're never sort of taking one cow out and putting one cow into a different group. Because obviously, if, you, if you're only doing one and you're suddenly putting this brand new cow into a group of another 50, she's going to receive all of that sort of domination to put her in the place of her hierarchy, which can be quite negative. So again, if we know that we've got a support animal there that actually moving to or maybe even moving a group of five together is important because it has that little bit of buffering, essentially to that stress of, of, of working out where you are in the hierarchy, but reduces that stress level. So we're, sometimes when we worry about these sort of really large, what we might refer to as sort of mega dairies that are, you know, a thousand, maybe 3,000 head of cattle, there is a positive to them in that you can move larger groups of individuals rather than just smaller individuals at a time. But primarily it's to do with that support of if you're separating them out for a short period, if you can identify an individual that helps them, use them. If you can identify two or three animals, again, are are fairly close and you see consistently together, if you can move them as a pair, that would help. I want to go to the impact, not just for the industry, but now the impact that this research has seen to the internet and the world. What are some of the surprising things like me reaching out on the other side of the world 10 years later to say, I've found your research? What are the other surprising things that have happened by people finding your work? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm surprised it does still keep coming around. And lots of people have gotten, got in contact with me over the years. And, and almost nearly every year, somebody has picked it up and wants to be interested in it. So it's, it's quite nice, again, that positive sort of social behaviour and the fact that cows have this bonded individual, what we might think of friend, I think helps to draw people maybe a little bit closer to an understanding of actually what these animals are capable of and, and, you know, possibly thinking about them at a different level um, to recognise that they do have these complex societies and that there is more to them sort of going on than just what we might originally think, that they clearly are having relationships those relationships are important. It means that they can definitely recognise one another. The fact that they obviously will have to remember a particular individual. The fact that that adds, I think that adds a little bit of character to cows in that they are inquisitive species. You know, they they want to be involved and they want to see what's happening. I can always remember one particular individual that I had that she always used to come and spot me, you know, from afar a in the corner and she would run up and I just feel this head and sniff on my shoulder and she just put her head on my shoulder and gave a little scratch, you know, and I was thinking, you interrupted my study, go away. <laughs> but it was so <laughs> nice to have that little relationship. She knew I was there to see, so yeah, I could give her a little scratch, um, essentially. But I think that's just the the nature of cows coming through of being actually more complex than we maybe give them credit for. When I did come across your research, I sent it to a friend who does work. She's a large animal um, vet and she does have a cow on her property. And I sent it, I was like, have you seen this in your cows that you either treat or the one that you have on your property? And she sends back this video of her patting her cow like as if it's a cat. (laughs) And I just, it's completely blown my mind how I guess like companion animals, they they kind of seem to be on on that line of a farm animal to a companion animal. Yeah, they are. They're inquisitive um, and Mm. they want to know what's going on. And 
they will come over and sniff you and and sort of and lick you. You know that that's primarily how they're sensing the environment is all through their mouth and their noses and the the, the sort of taste. So it's it is very sweet that they want to come over and they want to see you. And that's a that's a really good sign as well in terms of a positive relationship with people that these animals clearly mm-hmm. have had. If they want to spend time with you, that means that there is a positive relationship going on with mm-hmm. them and the producer, you know, that's looking after them or whoever might else might be looking after that animal. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean any any farm species essentially could become a, a companion animal. There's there's no reason why they can't be. And you have another amazing skill, which is you are an expert in animal emotion through facial expression research. And you have looked into that through both in-farm animals and companion animals like cats and dogs. If we are talking about cats and dogs, what are the few things that we can learn from their facial expressions that we should start to pick up in our day-to-day life to make their lives better? It's things that are actually very similar to humans. So what we've noticed from all the all the studies that have been done on facial expression in, in mammals particularly is that they do very similar movements to what we do as humans. So if they're in pain, they will scrunch their eyes, um, they'll get tense in their cheeks, um, sort of you'll see a much more sort of tension around the mouth and the jaw area. Obviously they have much more mobile ears than we have. <laughs> um, but if we just, yeah, by taking note of the tension that might be there in an animal, it can help us to understand how they might be feeling. And so dogs, dogs are um, an interesting one because they've been domesticated for so long. They've become very good at manipulating us. Um, so oh. There is a little eyebrow move that they they sort of make is to make them look that sort of almost that guilty look that they often give yeah and that's that eyebrow raise is quite common in in dogs you don't tend to see it in other species so i think that's because they've been domesticated for so long that they've worked out the type of signals essentially they need to give to us for Mm. us to then give back to them um which again is is very good that they're they're reading our body language that that sort of clearly that they're able to adjust their own body language to help yeah, manipulate us into giving them that yes. treat and the <laughs> taking them on that walk. Well, when it comes to cats then, do you think they haven't been able to pick up the body language or they're just choosing not to? They just haven't been as domesticated for as long um, and they are much more independent animals. So I'm, I'm a cat owner rather than a dog owner and they do still very much have their ways of manipulating us, but they're also much more independent still. Um, as to what they want to do but I think most people understand that have cats you know that the, the the slow eye close is the key thing with them to to say you know I'm, I'm not a threat I, and I'm just I just want another bit of cuddle <laughs> another bit of food. I have two cats and I do just find myself slow blinking at them like yeah. back at them to just be like I I'm speaking with you. I respect you. And I slow blink back at you. Yes. It's when you start finding yourself slow blinking to people as well that you think, oh gosh, I've been around my cats too long. Yeah. Like I'm just trying to communicate that I trust you. (laughs) That's so delightful. And thank you so much for um, sharing your research and sharing heartwarming facts. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Grace. This podcast is made on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Thank you so much for listening. If you know a great story, a wonderful person, or just a good old fact that you think we should cover, jump into our DMs and let us know. Good Great Wonderful is produced and hosted by me, Grace Rouvray, with audio production by Adair Shepherd and theme music composed by Simon Beaton. 
See you next week.